Cool. Thank you, Grant. Cheers. Appreciate thank it. you, Andre. And may I say a very big thank you to Andre and Hannah for allowing me to be here this weekend. Thank you so much. And for availing this preaching opportunity to an Australian bass player. I mean, he's taken a big risk there. But uh, it's great to be with you guys, Cornerstone Rolleston. And uh, I know I, I went to great lengths to try and explain to you that the, the musicians who are up here before, we didn't want you to feel like we were doing a concert for you. We wanted you to join the band. You got that message, right? Recognise that God was the audience. But they have worked really, really hard this weekend. And especially to Jordan and Elliot, who let me work with the team yesterday for a on about 17 hours we worked, didn't we? I don't know. It was, it was all, no, it wasn't that long. But we did work really hard to try and help you join the band with us and recognise God as the audience. They did a great job, didn't they? So thank you to Jordan and, Jordan and Elliot. And even though they're not performing for you, let's give them a big round of applause, shall we? They worked really hard for that. Especially Willie. Ask him about it later. Man, did I put him through the ringer. But he made it. That was great. Hey, um, yes, as you've heard, my name's Grant Norsworthy, but let me make one distinction here. I'm not on staff with World Vision. I'm a speaker. I'm a musician. But I love what World Vision do so much that whenever I speak, whenever I sing, I love to invite people to consider getting involved with their amazing, amazing work. But can I introduce my family to you? All right, I haven't been able to bring them. We live in um, Apamutri. Anyone know where Apamutri is? Yeah, fantastic. So we're about 30 minutes drive from Nelson Airport, top of the South Island. So that's my wife, Brooke, and we have three boys. Max is 14, Marcus, who came to us by adoption, he's eight, and Casper is six. That's my crew. Pretty good, right? Now, um, we've only been living in New Zealand for a little bit over two years. Uh, we actually uh, lived in Nashville, te Tennessee for 17 years, uh, immediately before coming here. So it was just before Christmas 2018 that we arrived. We feel like we, uh, we made it out of the USA just in the nick of time. Because <laughs> uh, it's been pretty rough over there. Any Americans in the room? All right, well, I'm also an American citizen, and so are my three boys, and we love America, but it's tough over there right now. And my goodness, in New Zealand, we might say it, oh, things are good for us. Don't we, don't we think, oh, things are good for us, especially with COVID-19. Wow, we've done well, haven't we? But we have no idea how tough it is for others. Anyway, that's, that's my family. And one thing I'd mention, like, Brooke was raised in Apamutri. And they don't tell you this when you fall in love with a Kiwi girl from Apamutri. If you fall in love with a Kiwi girl from Apamutri and you marry her, and it doesn't just have to be falling in love with a Kiwi girl, like I know that Shelley and Dan know about this sort of thing too, you're going to eventually live in New Zealand if you marry a Kiwi. And so here we are. That's us. But this morning, our service is called Chosen. It's a chosen event. And whenever I hear that word chosen, I don't know if you are like me, but I immediately go to this, the chosen one. <laughs> I don't know, we hear this, these three words linked together a lot, don't we? The chosen one. And I, I want us to recognize that the ultimate chosen one is Jesus himself. In fact, we can read in the Bible this book called Isaiah, or Isaiah, I think some people say, I don't know. But um, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, we see this prophecy being told to us about this person that's going to come in the future. And you put all the different pieces of the puzzle together and this chosen one, the ultimate chosen one, foretold by prophecy to do something that no one else could do is Jesus. It says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. That's Jesus, the chosen one. But I'm realising that we, in popular culture, we are surrounded by other stories in fiction 
that have a chosen one as well. Um, now, what, what is a chosen one? It's, it's someone, it's like our, it's our protagonist who is chosen by fate or prophecy, by destiny or some higher power to do something incredible, something that only they could do. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, here's some reminders of some of the best and some of the best known The Chosen One stories. What about King Arthur, right? He's chosen. He's the one who gets to rule England and to throw off all these enemies because why because he's the only one who can pull a sword out of a rock he's the chosen one what about what about this that's luke skywalker right now his interesting thing with the star wars stories like star any star wars fans here excellent okay so we don't really find out straight away but we see that luke is this like farm boy on tatooine sort of hates his life just plotting from one day to the next but then something happens Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader is his father. I hope he didn't ruin anything for anyone. He, and turns out later in the series, we find out he is the chosen one. In fact, this idea of the chosen one is enormous in the Star Wars world. You know that Anakin Skywalker is also a chosen one to bring balance to the force. And if you believe where we're going in the story so far, Rey is also a chosen one. Well, what about this person? Who's that? John Connor. From the Terminator series, he's the chosen one. He's going to save all humanity. What about, who's that? Neo from Matrix, right? Mr. Anderson. He's not just Mr. Anderson working a boring job. He's actually Neo. And get this, Neo is an anagram for one, O-N-E, reminding us that Neo is the chosen one. What about this? Harry Potter, he's the chosen one, right? Who's that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Emmett from the Lego movie. Now, they don't say the chosen one, but in the Lego movie, the first one, they say the special, right? But he's this one who's chosen by a prophecy for something enormous. Now, I might be pushing the, the, the theme here a little bit, but I wanted to show Katniss, all right? Anyone, anyone know the Hunger Games series movie? Right, she's, a cho- she's just this, this girl living a, a sort of a downtrodden existence. Turns out she's the only one who can overthrow these horrible powers, that are keeping people enslaved. She's the only one that can do it. And my personal favourite, Frodo. Now, interestingly, Gandalf knows he's the chosen one, that Frodo is the chosen one, but Frodo actually volunteers to carry the ring of power. And, and Gandalf, I mean, I'm weird, I'm weird, I'm choking up. <laughs> I don't know why. But it's like Frodo goes, all right. I'm going to step into this enormous calling on my life. I'm going to realize that I'm the only one that can carry this ring of power and destroy it. He didn't really want that task, but he recognizes that he's the only one. He is chosen. We're surrounded by these stories, aren't we? They're all over the place. There's more I could have listed. But I wonder sometimes whether all these stories about the chosen one lulls us into this sense, us in this room, sitting in our seats in a comfortable room in New Zealand. We tend to think that this enormous calling, this being a chosen one, is for other people. And they're all in stories. No, I'm not living under my aunt and uncle staircase with a scar on my forehead. I, I'm not. 
I don't have Obi-Wan Kenobi looking over me. That's other people. But I want to tell you this. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. He says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Yes, few are chosen. But if you read around that passage and you get the bigger picture, can I tell you something really clearly? And this frightens the living daylights out of me. If I have decided to follow Jesus, if you have nailed your flag to the mast and saying, all right, Jesus, I am your disciple. I will follow you. You are chosen. You are the chosen one and you are chosen and called for something extraordinary, something overwhelmingly amazing, something so that people who aren't chosen yet, we hope, would be absolutely overwhelmed and flabbergasted by the way we conduct ourselves in life. Their heads would spin. They'd be busting the doors down to come in here and go, what is going on? But it seems to me, unfortunately, most of us who follow Jesus settle for something way less than that. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm still going to live under the staircase. I'm still going to just do my farming job on Tatooine. You know? And being surrounded by all these stories of other people who are chosen, I think sometimes makes us ignore that we are chosen. Check out this Bible passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Can you say this out loud? I am chosen. A little louder. I am chosen. Turn to the person beside you and say to them, I am chosen. <laughs> that was a little bit, I don't even know. But yeah. We are chosen. Amen? All right. What does it look like if we're chosen? Well, here's another Bible passage I wanted to share with you. Colossians 3.12. This is a killer. This is the stuff that really frightens me. If I recognize that, hey, let me just qualify. Frightens me, but there's grace, you know? Like it's like, oh my goodness, whew, <laughs> God is good. So it's not, like a, it's not like a quaking in my boots fear. It's a holy fear. Are you with me? It's a good fear. The fear that motivates, the fear that, that convicts, not condemns. That's what we're going to listen to this morning. Not a, not a voice that condemns, but a voice that convicts. That's what we want to hear this morning. So Colossians 3.12 says to us this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Your call, the, the, the role of you chosen one may not be to save all humanity like Jesus did may not be to set God's Israelites free from Israel like Moses it it might not be to kill Darth Vader like it but it's to be compassionate not yeah sort of average compassionate for this region of New Zealand or a little bit better no I, I think it's extraordinary acts of costly, self-sacrificial acts of love, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So much so that people just don't know what we're on about, but they want to find out. It's extraordinary. Now, I'm a dad, as, as I've shown you. I've got three boys. And I'm thinking about 
chosen as well as with regard to my, my boys, about choices. I'm going to show you a photograph of my 14-year-old Max, but this is about 10 or 11 years ago. He's three or four in this photograph. There's Max. Now, my wife, Brooke, she's incredible. She's, she read some books about parenting, and she was parented very differently to how I was. And she had some great input for me when I first became a dad. You know, Max and I, especially when it was about this age, we started having these, like, butting heads problems, you know. No, Max, don't do that. Don't do that. Please, no, Max, no, you mustn't do that. And Brooke simply said to me, you've got to give Max choices. Yes, we need to guide our son, but he needs choices. And I, what do you mean? And she said, here's an example. If Max is wanting to write on the wall of the house, don't just go, don't do that, Max. You say... This, any parents here, this is groundbreaking stuff. This changed my world. You don't say, stop doing that, don't do that. That's the battle, right? You say, Max, you can draw on this whiteboard on the, or on this piece of paper, but you must not draw on the wall. He feels loved. He feels empowered. He's got a little bit of autonomy. It's appropriate for his age. And he goes, yeah, because ultimately, don't we want our kids to make good choices, to make the right choices? That's more important than just keeping them between the borders, right? Stay between the lines, Max. No, this has transformed how we parent all of our boys. Give the kids choices. All children need choices. This is an important part of development, realising that I am loved, that I'm cared for, that I'm understood, and I have some choices. And as we grow into adults, we keep choices, right? But there's another side to this. In fact, before I take that photograph away of Max, can I tell you one great little story? Brooke told me that um, Max came to her one day and he said, Mum, may I please have a spoon so I can drink my glass of milk? And she said, no, you may not use a spoon to drink your glass of milk, but I'll give you a straw or you can drink it straight from the, from the glass. And he said, Mum, can I please have my choices again, but this time with spoon as one of them? True story, true story. But isn't it true to say, though, that we can end up with too many choices? Yes, it's important that a child, and in fact, I'm going to say anybody has some choices. They can make choices. But you know our problem today in New Zealand, if I can be so bold? We've got too many choices. It's debilitating. It's another thing that helps us think that we just need to sit in a seat like this and go about our lives and not realise that we're chosen. We've got too many choices. In fact, one way of defining poverty is this, a lack of choices. And a way of defining overabundance, like that such a thick mass of overconsumption, is too many choices. I don't know about you, but I'm the sort of person who can look at my wardrobe of clothes and think I've got nothing to wear. I've got 14 pairs of shoes. I can think, I need a new pair of shoes. I can open the refrigerator, you know? Look at all the food options here. Oh, there's nothing to eat. I can be flicking through Netflix like, oh, there's nothing to watch. Are you with me? Anyone with me on this? Too many. Do you know how hard it is to get my family of five to choose one movie to watch together as a family? It's almost no. I don't want to watch that. I want to choose something else. No, not that one. No, I saw it last week. I don't. Want. It's too many choices, and it grinds us into the dirt. 
you know? My kids choose between five different breakfast cereals or toast every morning. Sometimes I wish it was just this one or two, you know? But no, no, everyone's oh, so-and-so wants this, and sometimes they, oh, it's just too much. I think we've all got too many choices. I think it's a symptom of our poverty, but a different sort of poverty. So I'm here representing an organisation called World Vision. And this morning is a chosen event. And I have a sneaking suspicion that many of us in this room know about World Vision. In fact, I was just chatting with Clive before. Clive's been involved with World Vision for 40 years. He goes to the shopping mall and helps them. Yeah, he used to do this stuff like... And there's people in this room who sponsor a child with World Vision now. Am I right? Am I right? Okay, fantastic. But here's the thing. There's more. All right? Now, I don't usually like saying numbers like this, but I'm going to tell you something. You know, I've been advocating for children in need for about 20 years now, speaking like this to crowds, asking them to get involved with the work of like World Vision. And when I first started, the people who I decided to advocate with, they said, if you want to, and I usually don't, but if you want to, you can tell the crowd that 40,000 children die from hunger and hunger-related diseases that are totally and easily preventable. If you want to, you can say that. That was 20 years ago, and that was a very heavy dark statistic that weighed heavily on me but you know what I'm excited I'm actually like can I tell you this over my 20 years of doing this that number has been going down and down and down and down and down 35,000 now Grant you need to say 20,000 now Grant you need to say and in 2019 they told me 17,000 now if you want to say this to the crowd you can 17th and I'm like 17,000 still way too many but I can see that extreme poverty is going to end in my lifetime. It's going to end in my lifetime. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that, but I'm also simultaneously sad that there's still 17,000. And I've got to tell you something else. With COVID-19, the pandemic, social distancing is a choice of the wealthy. For the first time in 40 years, the number of children dying from hunger and hunger-related diseases that are totally and easy preventable is going up. It's going up. We don't know how high. For the first time in 40 years, that number's going up. And I don't want to make you feel heavy, like that, that sticky, dirty of guilt, right? No. Tonight, like this morning can't be about that. It's, but it's... We've got to open ourselves to what God's saying to us about this. So I've got a short movie that my friends at World Vision have given me to show you. It's just a little thing that just explains how World Vision works, okay? And I hope you guys have got it. Ed, Andrew, here's a short movie. For the past 60 years, we've been partnering with people like you to help children and communities break free from poverty. But have you ever wondered how we use your community sponsorship money or donations to actually do that? To start, we approach each community we serve the same way, by listening to them. From the very beginning, we sit down with the community's children, families and leaders and listen to what their unique challenges and needs are. Do they need clean water, better schools, a dependable supply of wood, basic health care, local jobs, what opportunities do they see? 
Next, we work with them to develop a five-year action plan that will address the root causes of their challenges. Once the plan is drafted, we help them put it into action. We work with the existing leaders and empower new ones, bringing the community together to help them address the needs they've identified. And if something in the action plan isn't quite working as well as it should, we go back and change it so it does. But it doesn't stop there. We don't just help a community get the things they need like healthcare, education, clean water, nutritious food and economic opportunity. We also train them so they know how to best care for and grow these new resources so that they will continue to have them for years to come. When the community has grown healthier, safer and more self-sustaining, then we transition out and move on to the next community in need. By now, the community is a better place for children to live and grow, and they are more equipped to handle emergencies and can even turn around and help their neighbours. From beginning to end, this transformation is made possible because of people like you who are passionate about helping children and communities break free from poverty. Yeah, partnered with World Vision, you can make, make a difference. Uh, many of us in this room already are making a difference in that way. Uh, and, but the challenge is fresh for even those who are already sponsoring. Please stay with us. Please listen to this challenge. I want to introduce you to a guy who I'm going to call a friend of mine, even though I've only met him a few times. His name is Vitalis Okwako. And uh, he's married to a, a woman named Anna. I haven't met Anna yet. I hope to one day. Uh, but Anna and Vitalis live in Auckland. And I'm going to show you a photograph of these guys. There they are. That's Vitalis and, and Anna. And uh, I'm so pleased that World Vision linked me up with uh, Vitalis to, to speak with him on, on a few different occasions. And I'm going to share some of his story with you. Uh, and Vitalis is overjoyed, I think, to have me share this story. He wants you to know about his story. But Vitalis uh, is not originally from New Zealand. He's from Kenya, in Africa. And speaking to Vitalis, he tells me that, and this is like the 80s and 90s when he was living in um, Kenya as a small boy, he lived uh, with his mum and dad, and he was one of four siblings, a younger sister and, and three brothers, and they were very poor. Vitalis would use those words, we were very poor. We were poor subsistence farmers in a rural part of Kenya. And I had to question Vitalis. What do you mean by very poor? Because honestly, Vitalis, I can feel poor when I am unhappy that I squeeze my family of five into a house with one bathroom. You know, I, I can feel poor because my two cars are getting a bit long in the tooth now. They're 15, 16 years old and looking a bit shabby. I can feel poor because I can be at a restaurant and feel like I'd better skip the steak and order the hamburger. You know, like that's how I can feel poor when those things happen to me. But you tell me what you mean by poor, Vitalis. And he says, oh, not that sort of poor, Grant. He tells me that the, the family farm was about the size of a petrol station. And on that farm, there's a little tiny mud brick shack, dirt floor, no glass in the windows, no running water, no electricity, no internet. Can you imagine? No cell service. And everything they got to eat, they had to grow at first or find it in the bush by scavenging. They would often go without food. They'd miss meals. Sometimes go days without food. Often there was too much rain 
and everything would be washed away, crops, everything. Sometimes there was not enough rain and everything would die. And their diet was, when they were eating, was always vegetarian. But he tell, his face lit up and said, but we would have meat once a year on Christmas. All the community would get together and everyone had been saving all year and we'd buy a goat and we'd all have a little taste of meat on Christmas Day. He tells me that they'd had to walk several kilometres to get their drinking water and water for anything else. And when they drank that water, it would often make them sick. If they ever did get sick, there was little chance of getting proper medical attention. That never happened. In fact, one of the saddest parts of Vitalis' story is that his mother tells him that she actually had 12 babies and only four survived. And you might be wondering, well, why, why do people living in poverty have a lot of children? Well, I, this is their future. They've got no re retirement package. They've got no superannuation. They need workers for the farm if their bodies stop being able to work like that. Vitalis desperately wanted to go to school, but he couldn't because the authorities made a law that said if you can't afford the proper school uniform, you're not allowed to go to school. Vitalis was realising that he had very, very few choices. The only option ahead seemed to be, the, the choice he had seemed to him to be going back to the family farm, staying on the family farm and possibly starving to death or becoming a criminal. That's the only choice he could see. But then something happened. An organisation called World Vision used in, moved into his community in rural Kenya and began having meetings with the elders and the leaders and the children and the teachers and came up with some plans. Things were changing radically and for the better. I'm pleased to be able to tell you that now Vitalis and his community, they had enough to eat now. They had clean drinking water. If they ever got sick, they were getting proper medical attention. They, they started to see that they have more choices now and hope is building. And Vitalis was bought by World Vision, his school uniform. He's so funny when you talk to him about it because it was his favourite outfit of clothes. He says he'd never had socks and shoes on his feet before and he's 13 years old. He'd never worn socks and shoes. But this outfit that let him go to school and be educated was his favourite outfit and he'd even wear it when he wasn't at school all the time. And he was a really clever guy. He aced all his subjects, top of the class. And on the strength of that, now at the end of high school, he had a good command of the English language and was able to move to Nairobi, the bigger city, and get a, a better sort of job working in a hotel as a security guard. And already, even though life is still very, very tough for, for Talis in many ways, he is choosing with his meagre resources to help his siblings do better in school and helping other people back in his village. And it's in Nairobi he meets Anna. And no one told Vitalis that if you fall in love with a Kiwi girl and marry her, you will eventually live in New Zealand. So for the last four years, Vitalis has been living in New Zealand. And uh, he, he works as a, a security guard in a hospital. It sounds like the nurse you need when things go bad <laughs> from my discussion with him. But he's, he's not on a huge wage. But he's also studying. He's, he's heading towards a master's degree. He's a really clever guy. And he is supporting even people who aren't part of his family back in Kenya now. 
And I know that he has chosen with his meagre resources to financially support the work of World Vision New Zealand. And I tell you this, when you meet Vitalis, he has this calm grace and confidence of a man who knows he is chosen for something extraordinary. I wish you could meet him. If he was here, he would tell you that education is what's going to break the back of extreme poverty in the world. And partnering with World Vision will let children like Vitalis go to school and be educated, be fed, be clothed, but not as handouts in partnership with the whole community. And in so doing, you, to the tune of $50 a month, might lose some of your overabundance of choices and give a few choices to a child who has so few. You know, we have a saying. We have a saying in the English language that maybe, I ha- maybe we haven't said it since school, I don't know, but we know this. There's a statement, and it's this one. Beggars can't be choosers. Have you heard that? That's a disgusting statement. This is not the heart of God. See, beggars can't be choosers suggests that those who are poor should be thankful for whatever we give them. I'll make sure I've got all my choices in place first, and sure, I'll do a little bit for you, but you better be happy with whatever I decide to give you. And I don't think that's the heart of us in this room right now. Don't, don't hear me saying that. I don't think that's us. But it's still there. We know about it. God tells us that the kingdom of God is given to those who are poor in the eyes of the world. I think I've been seeing the poor completely incorrectly all my life. I thought, maybe not beggars can't be choosers, but I, th- I thought, yeah, I'll do my bit. Once I've taken care of myself, sure. But I'm trying to see it differently. I'm trying to step more completely into my role as being a chosen one. James 2.5 tells us, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? As we connect with the poor, if you would choose to connect more deeply than you currently do with the children who are represented, represented to a through world vision, I believe we can come to know Jesus better. This is not a religious obligation. This is a beautiful opportunity for me to be healed of some of my over-excess and my over-choosing and give some to those who God sees very differently to us. In fact, I think of Matthew 25, the verses between 31 and 46 that I won't read to you, but it's the story of the sheep and the goats, you know, where Jesus tells us one day everybody is going to stand before God and we'll all be separated into one of two groups the way a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And growing up in the Christian church, I come to, came to believe that all the sheep, the ones that were going to be part of God's kingdom forever, they were the Christians. That's what I thought. And the goats were not. 
But that is not what Matthew 25 says at all. Jesus tells us that the only outward criteria God is looking for to see whether Grant Norsworth is a sheep or a goat is the choices I made with regard to the least of these. The hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the lonely and the imprisoned. In fact, Jesus says these words, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Jesus is saying he is the least of these. He is the least of these. And he continues, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so this morning the choice is yours. What will you choose to do this morning? Well, we're going to give you an opportunity, Andre and me, Phil, Peter, there's an opportunity to respond to this message this morning. But don't respond to Grant Norsworthy, respond to God. And we have a short movie that's going to explain what, a bit more of what Chosen is about that we'd love to show you. So please give your attention to the screen. Chosen. In the heart of downtown Chicago, hundreds gathered who wanted to sponsor a child through World Vision. But unlike so many sponsorship events before, this one was a bit unexpected. Instead of having people choose a kid from a set of photos, like sponsorship's been done for decades, we did something that we've never done before. Now the choice is theirs the choice to take hold of their future, to pursue their God-given gifts, to become changemakers in their communities, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. I'm excited. For those of us who already sponsored children, you know that we probably... If, if it's like how it was for me, you stand in front of a table and you look across all the little faces and you choose the one that you like. I meant well. <laughs> but we want to empower these kids. We want to show that we love them and that we respect them. And we are sorry for the way we've looked down and kept more choices than we need. You might have heard if you were here last week that we were going to be partnering with a, with a region of India, but things have got so desperately bad there with COVID-19, we've had to change things a little. And with Andre and Hannah's understanding and pre-planning and talking about this with Phil involved, Cornerstone Rolleston is partnering with a little church that's in Uganda, or a little region that's in Uganda. If you're wondering where that is, it's a landlocked nation there in Africa. 40 million people, 40% of them are living in extreme poverty. It's got a smaller area than New Zealand. And here is Uganda, a bit closer up, is a particular region of Uganda, north. It's called Lalogi Lakwana. And any of you know about Uganda and the, the terrible history, you'll know that that's a region that has been dominated by uh, Joseph Kony and the LRA. And some of the children in Lalogi Lakwana are former child soldiers with terrible trauma. But we have an opportunity.
to partner with Logie Laquana through the wonderful provision of World Vision. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray. Should I give a choice to a child in the Logie Laquana and listen for an answer? You'll have an opportunity to have your photograph taken at the back of the room here. A photograph that will be printed out in Uganda this week. And on Wednesday, I think it is, Phil, there's going to be this choosing party. And many of the children of Logie Laquana are going to come together and look at a, hopefully a wall of faces. Hopefully one of your faces, a photo of you, will be there. And they'll get to choose their sponsor. And next Sunday, we'll have a reveal Sunday where those of us who are chosen will find out which child chose us to be their sponsor. And you can start writing letters and you'll have your first letter next Sunday from that child. Build that relationship of writing letters. Pray for one another and know that your $50 a month is making a difference in, for the whole community of Lalogi Laquana, not just that one child. And if you're wondering about the math, yes, $50 a month for one child, 100 bucks a month for two, 150 for three, 500 for 10, in case you're wondering. But Andre, why don't you come up here? Let us know what you think about this. That's oh, awesome. You know, I've watched that video three times now, and I said to Hannah, I said, uh-oh. <laughs> um, and I just love that word, that word that Grant used, empowering. What a gift it is to be able to empower someone to make a choice. It is such a gift. Um, and, you know, I'm reminded of Genesis 12, where God's talking to Abraham. And he has this idea where he says, you're blessed. But he doesn't end it there. You've heard me say it before. We, we are called as children of the Lord, children of God. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so often, we stop at that first part, right? We're blessed. Thank you, Jesus. And so I am so excited that we can partner with these guys. I know the hearts of you. And I'm really excited to see uh, what happens next week. I want to encourage you. I want to put my full support behind this ministry, full support behind uh, what Grant and, and um, Phil are doing and uh, Peter and the rest of the team. Um, let's partner. Let's partner with them. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited to see what God does uh, through this. So uh, please pray. We're going to do that in a minute, I think. Yep. Uh, please pray and just ask God. Have a, have a chat to your spouse. Personally, Hannah and I, we, we sponsor a child, but we, we had a discussion yesterday. We we're like, well, absolutely, we're going to do this again uh, because we can and we are blessed to be a blessing and we will. So I'm just, I'm really, I just say I'm excited. I think I've said it like 11 times, but I'm really excited to see what this is going to do for us um, in the sense that it's not about us at all, but when we are blessed and we, we see what, uh, empowering can do for someone else and unlock something in us. And I, I want to see a culture within Cornerstone that is generous. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much, Andre. The, and I'm, I'm showing you a few photographs up here that are not from the Logie Laquana. I couldn't get any from there in the short time available. But these are other Ugandan children from another World Vision project very nearby. It's pretty typical. As the band comes forward, Let's just uh, remember this. The currency of the kingdom of God is 180 degrees different from the currency of humanity. 180 degrees different. To be blessed is to be a blessing. Blessing is not about being a bucket for what God has done for us. It's about being a pipe through which God's blessing flows. 
So here's what I need you to do. I need you to grab this card that's sitting on your seat. And I need to see you pick it up, please. Even if you're going, I'm not going to do this. Do you pick it up anyway for me and f- flap it at me like this. Wave it around so I can see you've got it. And if you need one, Phil or Peter are going to get you one of them. All right. This is how it works. You get out your smartphone. You pull up the camera app. You look at the QR code that's on there. And then a very simple form will come up. A very simple form. It'll take you two minutes to fill out that form. That'll be you making your first $50 a month payment. Now, once you've finished that, that form, another QR code will appear on your iPhone or your, your smartphone. You take that new QR code back to where Phil is there. Everyone turn their head. Look where Phil is waving both arms and there's, a, there's an amazing light ring there that will make you look even better looking than you already are. And they'll scan that code and they'll take a photograph of you and that is the photograph that will be printed out in La Logie Laquana this Wednesday. But right now is the time for us to be prayerful. As you consider that and as you pray, I'd love us to be singing the blessing. And let's be thinking of Lalogi Laquana as we sing these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and give you peace. Keep that card in your hand. Grab your smartphone. But let's stand up right now.